What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. As of December 20th, 2022, the United States police had shot 1,060 people to death in 2021. 1,055 people were shot to death by police in the U.S. Many of these stolen lives were never known about or hashtagged or said in the streets. Many of their families, most of their families, grieved in silence and solitude. In addition to murdering us, law enforcement serves as a militarized occupying army in our communities and neighborhoods. They harm us in a myriad of ways that go unnoticed, like racially profiling, sexually assaulting, and wrongfully incarcerating our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response, strategically organize a response, tactically organize a response. So, every week on Law and Disorder, we kick off Thursdays with a roundup of news related to state terror. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of February 6, 2023. In a lawsuit served last week, the San Francisco Police Department was accused of ignoring a public records request about its military-style weapons for 15 months. The records request and lawsuit were filed by the American Friends Service Committee. By law, not that law enforcement is very good at following the laws they so brutally enforce, but by the LAW, SFPD should have provided the records or explained the delay within 10 days of the October 2021 request. The American Friends Service Committee, and gee, I do too, wants to know what kinds of military-style weapons the San Francisco Police Department owns. The committee asked for purchase records from 2015 for large pieces of equipment such as rifles and armored vehicles and records from 2018 for materials such as tear gas and flashbang grenades. It also requested information about how this equipment has been deployed since 2020. Some 200 other police and sheriff's departments across California received the same information request in October of 2021, according to John Lindsay Poland, co-director of the committee. But while the vast majority of jurisdictions provided at least some data in the intervening, intervening period, including OPD, y'all, shocked there, the San Francisco Police Department offered up zero zilch, nothing, nada. According to the lawsuit, the request was passed between the police department's legal office and its media department several times without any resolution. After that communication, some 20 emails, which can be seen on the public records tracking website, Muckrock, were sent to the department to follow up on the request, but apparently none of them were answered. Stay tuned, beloved. We will def be tracking how this unfolds. And as always, a shout out to Will Jarrett and the Mission Local team for some of the best police accountability reporting we got in the Bay. How many people, innocent people, will be murdered in this country before we admit that the death penalty is an antiquated racist institution that steals the lives of black, brown, and poor people without apology or even a oops-a-daisy when the state discovers that they were wrong? Leonard Raheem Taylor was executed last week for the 2004 murder of his girlfriend, Angela Rowe, and her three young children in Jennings, St. Louis. Taylor always maintained his innocence. He was nearly 2,000 miles away when the bodies were found inside of the home he shared with his girlfriend. Police seized on Taylor as their sole suspect, pursuing witnesses to confirm their theory of the crime while ignoring evidence to the contrary. At Taylor's trial, the prosecution relied on a statement provided by Taylor's brother, who vociferously later recanted, and on testimony, catch this, from a medical examiner who dramatically changed his estimated time of death in order to implicate Taylor. The whole damn system is guilty. Despite, however, lingering questions over Taylor's guilt, his innocence claim was never fully investigated or considered by any court. As his execution loomed, attorneys sought to stop it, asking Governor Mike Person to convene a board of inquiry and independent 
panel tasked with vetting his innocence claim. The governor declined to do so. As it became clear the execution would likely proceed, attorneys learned that the state was denying Taylor's request to have a spiritual advisor and two witnesses. His attorneys are advocates present during the execution. After the Supreme Court, the Federal District Court in St. Louis declined to intervene. These same attorneys' advocates were sitting in the diner working on an appeal to the 8th U.S. Circuit Court. The attorney was calling to tell Taylor about the appeal when she was informed that it was too late. This is not the first time that Missouri has executed a person in the face of compelling claim of innocence, nor is it the first time the state has executed someone while litigation was still pending. Rise in power, Leonard catch the middle finger, Missouri. Sorts the Liana Segura, Jordan Smith, the intercept. The Palestinian Commission of Detainees and Ex-Detainees Affairs said in a brief statement that the Damon Prison Administration imposed unfair and harsh punitive measures on the child detainees, including closing the canteen for a week and preventing phone calls. Free Free Palestine. The IPS earlier confiscated the child detainees' electric devices and prevented their family visits. Free Free Palestine. Tensions have reached a boiling point in several Israeli prisons holding Palestinian prisoners under the far-right National Security Minister, who was in charge of police and prisoners in his role in Israel's new extreme right-wing government, Free Free Palestine. There are at least 4,700 Palestinians in Israeli prisons, including 150 minors, 34 women, and 835 people held in administrative detention without trial or charge. One more time for the folks in the back. Free Free Palestine. New York City Department of Correction officials said a person, a 65-year-old person, in custody at the North Infirmary Command, part of murderous Rikers Island Detention Center, has died, marking the first death of a person in DOC custody in 2023. Officials added that the cause of death was under investigation with confirmation pending from the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. Though the latest death constitutes the first in DOC custody this year, last year, 19 people who had been detained at Rikers Island died. On January 26, survivors of Rikers Island Prison impacted families of detainees, faith leaders, and allies held a rally in Queens to demand decarceration and the closure of the city jail ahead of Mayor Eric Adams' State of the City address. Is that just me, or do New, do New York so-called progressive mayors just get progressively worse with each newly elected one? Source, Norwood News. And another FTP story, an Aurora man is fighting for his life after he was shot multiple times by police on Sunday. Relatives say it was a mental health situation that spiraled out of control. The 21-year-old man lives at home near Colorado Avenue and Elmwood Drive with his grandmother, his girlfriend, and their baby. According to the man's stepmother, an argument between him and his girlfriend got out of control and brought on what she called a mental health episode. The family did not know what to do, so they called 911. Now the family wants answers, especially considering that officers, they say, were were well aware of the mental health situation at the home because they'd been called it in the past. Police say the man had multiple knives. Neighbors say they saw just one before he was shot. Relatives say he was struck in the chest, leg, stomach, and eye. Aurora police dismissed. Reed called this uh, traumatized family liars because that's what you do when you almost and maybe might have murdered someone folks love. The cops poo-pooed the family's claims that when they called 911, it was described as a mental health situation, explaining that they have protocol in place for those cases, and it was not applied. I'd laugh if that claim by the cops wasn't so damn sad. Source, Andrew Ramos, CBS Chicago. 
This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of February 6th, family. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force of the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and our website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. Shout out to my producer, Jesse Strauss, for curating the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask of the Fort Arts Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>